It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. Uh, this is our opportunity to sit down once a week with uh, some of the award-winning journalists from all over the East End to get an update on the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27 East, and the Express Magazine. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And uh, we're back after a couple of weeks off with uh, our stellar panel, which is Beth Young, the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. Good to have you here. Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Hey, how you doing? Good to have you. And Michael Mackey, who's the uh, local host of Morning Edition on WLIWFM. Hey, Michael. Good morning, friends. Thank you for sharing the airwaves with us again this week. Um, so uh, we'll start with a story that we had this week, which uh, was kind of a startling headline that uh, there is a plan for a cruise ship to make a fairly regular stop in Sag Harbor uh, in 2024. Bill, can you talk a little bit about what that's about? Sure. So it's it's American Cruise Lines and, and they have um, these the small kind of like riverboat um, cruise ships that um, have a capacity of about a hundred passengers, which which uh, the cruise line notes will be will be um, wealthier wealthier passengers um, that will include a stop to Sag Harbor along what it's called its Yankee Seaports cruises. Mm-hmm. Um, so so these are are ships that are are coming down from uh, Massachusetts on their way to New York City. They're going to stop in Sag Harbor for a while and then stop in Port Jeff and let people um, let people off and into the villages to see kind of the historic historic village of Sag Harbor, historic village of of, uh, of Port Jefferson. The issue came up is that uh, they're, they're promoting these these cruises and, and, and stops, um, but they hadn't had any conversations at all with um, with Sag Harbor village officials who were caught a little off guard heard about the uh the cruises kind of through the grapevine if you go to american cruise lines uh website um these you know these are it's not it's not something that's planned it's something that's that's in the works they're i don't know if they're they're necessarily booking um booking um seats or anything yet but um but they are planned for uh you know for next spring and and, and summer uh the question is 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 how will people um you know disembark from from these small cruise ships uh, to get into the village, um, they haven't had any conversations with the Sag Harbor dockmaster or anything. They they could uh, apparently they could employ some kind of um, uh, uh, shuttle shuttle boat from the actual yeah. They could cruise ship. they could moor in the cove and, they, and use a smaller boat to bring people in. Right, um, and you know, village officials are like, well, you can't really stop them from you know from. From being in, in the waterway, but um, how much accommodation do you uh, do you do you want to give them? It's kind of interesting. I, I question whether or not mature, wealthy people are going to get on small boats. Well, that's that's true. With your bad joke, Joe. Joe's looking <laughs> at me like oh. <laughs> right. the they don't like cruises. the shuttle idea. What? The river cruises are fairly popular, though, and they're they're fairly high end and and swanky and. Uh, tickets for these cruises uh, range between um, a little over five thousand dollars to a little over eight thousand dollars per person. So we're not talking about um, you know daily shuttle uh, daily shuttle boat. These these sound pretty high end. Yeah, a lot so of people that make it even to go on a cruise without kids. Yeah, yeah exactly. I would that's, do that. That's, it's not going to be a right. ship that you're going to have. Uh, a whole lot of sliding sliding boards and things like that for for kids i don't think i'm just uh, kind of curious because like as the you know the advocate for the working class and not writing about the hamptons like you guys but like <laughs> like th- th- was that description provided by the cruise line to the village to make them feel better or is that something the villages who's saying that it was provided mature, to Stephen J. Coates. They, they, right. they, they, it was a response to questions from our reporter. Yeah, exactly. From the, the village, cruise, the village said that, or from the cruise line? No, from the cruise person. Okay, so feel good about it. They're going to be older, wealthy people. Right. None of the okay. boats have swimming pools or casinos. <laughs> they, uh, 
They know so as well. I would think most villages would see this as a positive, but Sag Harbor right now, if you were in Sag Harbor at all this summer, and really any of the summers the last few years, uh, it's hard to even move around Sag Harbor right now in the summertime. <laughs> um, I find it interesting too, Bill, that I think that the the schedule of the ship coming in actually picks up in the fall, which which might actually be a positive yeah, thing for Sag Harbor. Yeah. Sure. I see May 6th, 2024, May 27th. Well, that'll be interesting. June 24th, July 2nd, then September 25th, and several more in October. So not all the dates are so horrible, right? If you have 100 people get off and want to spend money in the village. Well, and, and you're, not adding, the, How's and that you're bad? not adding to the traffic, traffic problem. Traffic on no, the right. road, yeah. Correct. I mean, there are some positives here. And, and the oh, conversation oh, oh. that the cruise ship had was, these are people who are going to disembark and come to the restaurants and come to the shops. And well, um, yeah. although I, I, I found um, this hilarious, the trustee uh, village uh, uh, board member Aiden Korish um, was was a little skeptical toward the company's plans and said, um, as the direct quote, how much do you degrade the quality of life to sell another ice cream or T-shirt? Um, I thought that was a good quote. So are they going to come in and spend money in restaurants and, and or are they, you know, they're going to walk, um, you know, Long Wharf and, and buy an ice cream and, and then be done? Um, interesting question, I guess. They'll this be looking the big, for T-shirts. <laughs> this is the big debate is the 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 success that Sag Harbor has as uh, a tourist, uh, you know, a tourist spot. People want to come visit Sag Harbor, but you can be. Uh, the victim of your own success sometimes. I think there's a lot of people in Sag Harbor that would say the number of people in Sag Harbor isn't the issue any longer. Uh, so what, but like, what are the potential negatives for this? Are they are there environmental concerns? Like, what do they like? What do they do with the onboard? Um, I hate to bring this up, but you know, me wastewater. Like, do they have to dispose of that locally somehow? Like, what are the ramifications of this other than? rich old people coming to spend money in the village. Like, well, it's a good point, but I'll point out they're going to be our sure for a portion. There, if you're, if you visit Long Wharf on any day in any summer, there are a lot of boats docked there that are a lot bigger than a hundred uh, passenger river cruise <laughs> ship. Correct. The, some of those yachts About are 20. enormous. They are enormous boats. Yeah, I've seen so um, I'm not sure what the downside is, except that. Um, and well, and Mike, uh, Michael, as you pointed out, there's a lot of shoulder season visits. That's something the village probably would welcome. Right. July yeah. 2nd might be a little bit difficult. Yeah. And there is very heavy pedestrian traffic at times in Sag Harbor where people Memorial can, Day, yeah. can barely walk down the, down the street. But overall, unless there are environmental concerns, and as you point out, wow, the the $100 million yachts don't seem to be posing an environmental concern. How could this this relatively small cruise cruiser be of environmental concern? I think the big uh, question here on the part of the Sag Harbor Village officials is, why didn't they ask us first? Well, I mean, you know, the, Joe, Joe, the difference is that those big cruise ships, they're, they're paying. They're paying the village to dock. They're paying per... Oh, you mean per, the big yachts? The big yachts. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the big yachts. They're they're paying they're paying per foot um, to to be docked there. They're paying for pump out fees, um, you know, and they're paying for all that. Um, so 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 there's a symbiotic relationship there. If these cruise ships are coming in, they haven't you know spoken a word one to village officials. They're not they're not saying that they're going to pay these you know dockage fees that you know that that the yachts are paying. So, so I mean, there's there's a loss there. Then I guess, but they're not, maybe. but they're not docking at the at, well, at the wharf, right? So, at Long Wharf, right? That was yeah. they, they don't know where they're. Yeah, that's it's a, un, that's it's a question right and, now. It's an actually, open question. Yeah, um, Bar Harbor, Maine, um, is a little town. It's a, it's bigger than Sag Harbor, but um, but they have a significant cruise ship presence there. But the cruise ships there, it's called a tender cruise port, which means they have to anchor out and take a tender or a small boat into shore with the cruise ship passengers. And Bar Harbor actually limited the number of passengers that can disembark in town to, to uh, a thousand people per day, which when you wow. think about that's like 
orders of magnitude more than what we're talking about here. Yeah. But um, they're involved in a federal lawsuit now because um, the cruise ship companies say it's a violation of uh, interstate commerce. Uh-huh. Um, but, but I mean, I think this is really, I mean, it opens the door to the possibility that this could become a major cruise ship destination. And that, and that, I mean, that has implications for Greenport. It certainly has implications for Port Jeff. I mean, Port Jeff is incredibly crowded as well. Um, Who has yeah. jurisdiction over the waters where they'd moor this ship? Like the, the, the village, the village, the village has, has responsibility for for the cove and and, and right outside uh, the breakwater. I don't think they could get that boat under the bridge. Yeah, that's so a good maybe question. they will have a very efficient shuttle that brings people in. It, in which case, it's no different than a bus coming from Queens, parking at Mashashimio Park and letting everybody just get out and walk into the village, right? Right. I think it's an interesting business strategy <laughs> to just sort of announce this before you've set anything up with the village. And I can only I, think I, of two. I don't we see that a lot around here. It's like so building there's... a home and, and factoring in. You're going to have to pay $300,000 in litigation to do what you're not supposed to do, but you've already done it, so now stop us. Well, honestly, there's Robert two Moses reasons I can it. see I can see two reasons why why a company would do that. The first is that you just assume the village would be welcome that, that they that they'd love to have this, this coming in and that you're allowed to to go to Sag Harbor by boat right now. So, you know, maybe they assume that or it's what you're saying, Michael, which is it's better to apologize later than than to, to ask permission. You never ask somebody who's only empowered to say no to say yes. That's or true. Is inclined to say, haven't we all worked with people who, after a while, you learn don't ask that person for permission <laughs> if you really know what you want to do and you believe in it, do it. Just do it, um, do Beth. It. And I think you raised a great point, which is it's it's a foot in the door. Um, if this is successful, uh, that could end up being something that 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 you see you see other. Uh, other opportunities for people to to bring ships in. Uh, uh, it's yeah. it's something I and I think your point too about Greenport. I'd better keep its ears open about this because I think Greenport would be another perfect stop on that on that uh, voyage. Um, no question. Well, you know, we're all talking about this like it's a bad thing. I think the city of yeah. Venice, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe the maybe not the best example of. No. Uh, of a city that had well, the, talk about the city they're losing of their water. Segue yeah. to Hurricane Lee. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting development. Uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, it's very clearly just sort of dropped out of the sky. Um, and uh, Sag Harbor Village is, is dealing with the fallout from it now. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that going forward. It's going to be an interesting developing it, story. It, it, it speaks to the transformation of this whole region, really, when yeah. you think about that. Like, uh, you know. And and in, in the meantime, maybe we should all you know get together and think about um, you know buying some kind of ice cream slash t shirt shop. Because there you go. There I think there should just be a cruise ship that goes directly to Harbs and then departs <laughs> <laughs> with pumpkins. We do have a maritime uh, a maritime history here on the East End, so uh, maybe this will be a new chapter in that. We shall see. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Michael Mackey of right here at WLIWFM. And uh, so let's let's go back to Riverhead and let's talk about what happened this week uh, with New York City. They had filed some lawsuits um, of the, this summer against some different municipalities related to the influx of the migrant workers who were coming in. Um, there was a big development this week, Denise. What happened with those lawsuits, and especially the one against Riverhead? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like the writing was on the wall because uh, last month, um, the the so these are lawsuits, just to back up a minute, like these are lawsuits that were brought by the city of New York seeking to invalidate emergency orders adopted by 30 counties in the state of New York and the town of Riverhead. Riverhead was the only town that adopted this. And these emergency orders all sought, sought to block um, the city of New York from relocating asylum seekers and migrants to other places, to, to their counties. Um, 
And so, or in our case, the town. And um, the the judge in New York County, where the, this lawsuit was brought, naming all of these entities as defendants, um, ruled in favor of the municipalities um, and severed the actions. So split them up into 31 separate actions, which would be tried essentially in all the different counties. So the action against the county of Suffolk and the action against the town of Riverhead would have to be tried in Suffolk County, et cetera. And a spokesperson for the mayor's office told us that, you know, it was just, it wasn't worth it. It was just too much of an effort and expense to do this all over New York state. And they just discontinued all of these actions. Um, the actions that remain pending are uh, essentially, there's two of them that are I think in progress right now in terms of the discontinuance, but there there are actions that were brought by the county executives of Orange and Rockland County, which remain pending because the city of New York can't discontinue those much as they might like to. They're the dependents in it. So um, those remain pending as well as an action brought in federal court, a class action lawsuit against um the counties of Rockland and Orange uh, to invalidate their executive orders um, on the basis of, you know, constitutional law violations. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't like unexpected that this was going to happen because it just seemed like an untenable thing for the city of New York, even though it is a large place and has, you know, a lot of lawyers in their corporation counsel's office. Um, you know, to to pursue these things separately like that. Like I figured, it, I I kind of thought this was the next thing that we would hear um, from from that. But um, you know, the the town obviously, town officials were obviously very happy about this, and um, seemed to uh, you know at least the supervisor seemed to take it sort of as vindication of uh, the position that um, she took about the migrants. Actually, she said a few different times actually being on buses um, heading to Riverhead the, the night that she, issued, she signed the first executive order on May 16th. And I would just say there's absolutely zero evidence of that. There's no corroboration of that. She could would not offer even a suggestion of where, you know, what where they were going or what hotels and motels they were headed to or anything like that. Is, it, is um, there a chance that was a rhetorical spin on her part that she's saying, well, they were on buses on the way here? Uh, you know. I would say no, not the way it evolved. No, I, you know, mm. I mean, she said it was an emer I had to do this because they were on buses on their way here. And while she acknowledged that she heard that that day on a recording of a radio uh, program by a uh, Guardian Angel uh, founder Curtis Sliwa on WABC Radio, who ran against mayor, the mayor of New York City in the last election and uh, kind of regularly goes on a tear against him on his on his radio show. But, um, you know, she acknowledged that she heard that there. One of the council members said straight up, Tim Hubbard said, um, oh, that it was based off of Curtis Lee was, you know, what Curtis Lee was said, because he we listened to that recording as well. And he said that they were on their way to Riverhead. They dropped migrants off in, you know, Orange County and they were bringing them to Riverhead next. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I think she took that and ran with it, kind of, you know, that, that was the uh -huh. rhetorical statement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, I guess it was, but she wasn't <laughs> intending it to be rhetorical. The reason I ask is I'm just curious what the real world impact was of all this. Do we know? Do we know if any of these migrant workers who were bussed up from from southern states um, ended up? Um, we we do know that. And the answer of is, of course, they no. are some no. are here. No. Of course, they are. It's only 100 miles away. Not by buses, you know, dropped yeah, off by New York City. Like if right. there are people that arrived here because they left wherever they individuals, individuals. Yeah. And they're unable I mean, to work, by the way, just to go Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's, that's a asylum, asylum seekers, that's not a large. workers. I think and, that's a different. If, and like, and they're not. I mean, like, I think some of these people came in before the lifting of the COVID era policy that said, you know, remain in Mexico. I mean, this is where uh, there were 65,000, um, you know, 
asylum seeker, migrant worker, migrant uh, migrants in New York City beginning like shipped to New York City since last spring from the states of Texas and Arizona and I don't know if Florida is in the mix there, but and and like you know they 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 Mayor Adams apparently very worried about what was going to happen when this remain in Mexico policy was left allowed to expire, which it was in May. Um, you know, started scrambling for we can't we don't know where we're going to put these people, and you know it, this should be dispersed around the state and around the country. Not you know they shouldn't all get sent to New York City, which. The executives of, you know, the governors of those states kind of were like did that sort of gleefully because they kept saying and some politicians in New York state repeat that. Well, you wanted to be a sanctuary city, buddy. So here you go. Give them yeah, sanctuary. Yeah, very much, you know, very much a political. It was very political and I think kind of spiteful and playing games with people's lives. I mean, I, you know, that's the bottom exactly. line here. And because it's not like, we're, you know, what's happening to them is not fun. And I mean, you know. Asylum seekers are not like we keep hearing this here in Riverhead. They're illegal aliens. You know, they're illegals. They're un they're not actually. I mean, they're if you are seeking asylum and you're let into this country while your application for asylum is pending, which could take years um, to get resolved, you have legal status. You have a legal right to be here. I mean, there are a lot of people that don't like that law, but that's what it says. And I think. I think Bill made a great point. I should apologize for using the term migrant workers because that's yeah. not what we're talking about. We're no. talking about asylum seekers right. who are in the Refugees. country. They are they are in the country legally yeah. waiting for for a, a ruling. And I think Beth's point too that that you know the fact that these workers arrive and can't work for the first what is it six months I believe. I think it's a six month delay before they can get a work permit. And I, I think there's some pressure on Governor Kathy Hochul to, to maybe address that. But the interesting dynamic there is the minute you change that, then the politics come up again because the arguments made that you're you're dangling a carrot uh, for people to come into the country and, and work and, and making it easier for them. So this uh, whole I mean, I mean, government has to has to deal with that. Has to do that. They yeah. can't, they can't uh, keep their bills paid. So, yeah, the, the net effect of because they can't agree to, you know, they've got the money, but they can't agree on anything in Washington. But I, I think that like the net effect of all of this on the people, not only these individuals who got bus to New York City and are look, you know, the mayor's looking at house somewhere. Um, but the net effect of other um Latino residents that are already here, a lot of whom like are here, I mean, they're not like just because someone is a Latino <laughs> resident doesn't make them, you know, here undocumented or illegally. God knows. I mean, a lot of people have, you know, le the legal right to be here, green cards. A lot of people have been were born here, but people see them as them, as, you know, one group and react to that. And, and so the New York Civil Liberties Union has weighed in with us on stories about, you know, what this and, and as has um, Ola, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the Latino uh, advocacy organization um, on the East End that like this has a very, um, you know, negative effect and on people who are here, like mm -hmm. people are, you know, like you know, yelling at them in the street and things in a new way that hasn't happened for a little while now. And, you know, they're scared because of this. There's, there's always there's always been that element of racism um, surrounding, you know, Spanish speaking members of the community. Yeah. And this just and this just um, heightens that and, and you know, and, and, and makes it makes it worse and, you know, gives people an opportunity to to further that hate. And that's really unfortunate. It absolutely ramped it up. And, you know, I think that's a really <clears throat> tragic side effect of um, this kind of I, what I would say is, at least on the part of our local official here, irresponsible talk. Like, I, I think it was very irresponsible talk. And um, it's also know. intertwined so deeply with so many issues locally, economic issues where we need work workers in the workforce and there's a real scramble to find workers but then there's the the issue with housing and, and trying to find places to put people it's just tied up so so tightly with so many local issues uh the federal government's really done a bad job of dealing with Ooh. with immigration for for a decade, decade uh, yeah. you know there's really no reason 
uh, there are solutions and, and, you know, it's just both sides have to get the, the political will to deal with it. Um, and we're seeing the, the turnout locally. They have uh, you know, to look for solutions instead of just like rhetoric and politically divisive, you know, commentary. And that's unfortunately, that's all we're getting. And it's yeah. not only in Washington now, it's, you know, throughout the state, it's in Albany. I mean, look at the campaign for governor, uh, which Michael always loves to talk about last time around. And, and you know, I mean, that's all we get now. Why, why would you why would you want to find a solution to a problem that that um, that helps you to inflame and encourage your your own you know constituency to you know to continue to vote for your party? I mean, Congressman Nick Lalota was fundraising off of this whole thing this week, mm-hmm. and his emails. I, you know, I don't know. It's it's yeah. sad. it's been it's a political really football. Yeah. I think the the politics of it are, are what's what's really turned it and kept us from finding real solutions. To Absolutely, it. So, Joe. Yeah, we're a long way from solving that. No question. This is there, I have one last oh, question sorry, though. Go ahead. If, if there are sixty five thousand. Um, asylum seekers who have been bussed from Texas and Florida to New York. More now. How many are still there? I mean, in other words, uh, presumably they didn't bust every single asylum seeker who came into the state. So they must be having a a situation in Texas and Florida that's as overwhelming as we're having here in uh, New York City and in the state of New York. You made an excellent point before, Denise. Actually, anyone who illegally uh, enters the United States of America is the responsibility of of all of us, and we want to find the effective way to assimilate. For selfish purposes, anybody that's here and is going to stay here, we want to treat with dignity and respect, so they grow up to be a, uh, they someday become a responsible, contributing citizen and believe in the uh, American way. But it's, I think it's it's very challenging, and I don't think it's an easy situation to solve. And the fact that it's a very effective political point to be against the uh, undocumented and the uh, asylum seekers is uh, makes it an even deeper problem. It's one I think that as human beings we could all work together and resolve. But it's not easy. It's very yeah. challenging. You know, it's interesting. The asylum seekers—that's international law, I believe. I mean, you know, yeah. it's not something yeah. you can choose not to do. Well, first of all, I, I'm watching. I watch BBC and uh, Euro News every night. Also, it's the same news, except it's the Mediterranean, and mm-hmm. uh, and the the number of, I mean, how many how many people are on the planet? Seven billion. It feels like about three or four billion would do anything within their power not to be where they are right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a worldwide crisis, and we're just uh, near the a microcosm. Uh, and of, and we're climate we're change gonna, comes into in right worse yeah, than ever. Right, I think it's 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 yeah. part of the part of the equation as well. And I, can I just add one thing to this? Like we could talk sure. about this forever, but like I feel I'm, I'm compelled to always make this point that. A lot of this crisis, whether it's the southern border, Mediterranean, or you know, people coming from Africa to Europe, et cetera, is it's really a, a direct result. You know, you can draw a direct line to uh, policies of you know colonial regimes that have like gone into other places that are resource rich and otherwise not poor. And and exploited those resources and exploited those people and have disrupted civilizations even. I mean, you know, it's hard to like keep the big picture here in mind. And we just tend to not do that as we not we us, but like. But how long does it take for it to sort itself out? Like Libya should be a wealthy, rich nation. You know, they've been independent for a long time now. But human nature and greed and corruption, you know, like all of those things. The things that led to, you know, the invasion of those countries for, you know, profit uh, are are have resulted in the continuation of policies that hurt people. And the so, New York Times you know, had a story this last week that one of the issues uh, in Mexico in particular and some of the Central American countries is there are a lot of politicians who make money off of getting people to America and so there's no incentive right. to, to make that stop. And, and it's the corruption that, that's part of the problem. I'm that looking was a at that photo on the homepage yes. of the New York Times right now. Just that, that it's such a compelling photo of the people coming through. What is it? The Darien Gap, right? Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And and we lose sight of the humanity too too easily yeah. here. I think I think we talk about this issue and forget the human beings that are involved yeah. in it. And we I think it's really really essential that we continue to to emphasize that. And so, um, Lisa Votino, who's yeah. been appearing at the Southern Border, is giving a talk on Monday at the yes. Earth Library at six. Uh, she's been about about her experiences at the border, um, organized by the Riverhead Anti-Bias Task Force. Well, many of whose members are no longer. They're not putting that on, actually. They're not putting it on. The oh it's happening. The library is hosting right. it, and it's still happening, but it's not an anti-bias task force program because it was not approved by the town board, and that's the new rule. So, so that's another story. Gosh. But, yeah. But, but yeah, this Monday, September that. 18th at 6 p.m. at Riverhead Free Library, the presentation is taking place. Yes, it is. It is. And she I thought is, that was very interesting presentation. She's a, she's a very interesting person. She's she really both, is. Uh, and she know, was there. And she was one of the people removed from the antibias task force because I think she spoke out against this executive order. <laughs> um, it all ties in. But she spoke out uh, at a town board meeting uh, after the executive order, this emergency order was signed. And um you know, I kind of feel like that's where it got her. Lisa absolutely has spent yeah. time down on the border yeah. and providing providing support down there. So yeah. she knows she I'm knows the topic to well. Yeah, that'll yeah. be a great talk. So now I will say, sorry, this is behind headlines <laughs> on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Michael Mackey of WLIW, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Bill, I want to talk about another story we did this week, and this is a, a fertile topic. I don't know if that's a pun, but I don't mean it to be. Uh, I want to talk about because it grows. It's fertile. yeah, it's cannabis, <laughs> and and we had a, I thought a very interesting story this week by our Tom Gogola uh, about the the fact that the local smoke shops on the Shinnecock territory have really changed the 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 dynamic of how cannabis is coming legal cannabis is coming into being in New York State. Right now, there are no legal, uh, there are no licenses being provided to dispensaries in New York State, uh, to private dispensaries. Well, no, but no, no new licenses. There are no new licenses, licenses. yeah. But but right now, well, um, we we, on, we 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 said it. I mean, two two years ago on this radio show, as as um, as they were beginning the processes of which towns were going to opt in and which towns were going to opt out, and I and I think we we said every time the subject came up, we said you know we look toward the you know the the Shinnecock territory because they're not going to be bound by. Um, by these New York State um, guidelines and licenses and and all that, and you're going to see, you know, you're going to see them corner the market. And you know what they did. Um, you, you know, uh, original talk on 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 the territory had been that they were going to um, the open the little beach harvest, um, which was going to be a, a, at the time they were talking about a medical um, a medical dispensary, me medical cannabis dispensary, and and now it's going to be recreational as well. Um, but that grew quickly to once 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 cannabis was legalized in the state, all the different cigarette smoke shops, um, you know, along Montauk Highway there began selling uh, recreational uh, uh, cannabis and um, and certainly are doing a brisk business. I you know drive by it, um, you know, three days a week and, you know, and, and every parking lot is, is full in the morning and, and, and in the afternoon and they're doing a good job. They, um, and to their credit, I mean, they're not bound by state guidelines or, or laws and good for them for, for realizing that, um, um, you know, that they can get in on this market and kind of undercut, uh, the, the, sluggish nature of of the state in issuing these these licenses for the legal dispensaries it, it seems to have even caught the shinnecock nation off guard with the dispensary because the dispensary this week we learned the original investors have pulled out and and there are new investors but it seems like the 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 nature of all of the smoke shops adding cannabis products happened around that dispensary project and really changed the fiscal uh, outlook for that project. It, it seems to be a, a, a tougher sale 
uh, for that dispensary, which still hasn't opened. Right. I mean, it, it, it was going to be, and I'm trying to remember the timeline of, you know, talking about opening, you know, they were opening, talking about opening a medical dispensary. And I'm not sure if, if that predated, um, you know, the state legalizing cannabis for recreational use or not. Um, I, I think if, um, you know, if, if, you know, given the timeline, if 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 they thought that that was going to be the only you know local dispensary other than dispensaries in Riverhead, then it was it was a pretty good um, you know business venture. Now it's kind of they cut undercut themselves, I guess. You know, with with that and made uh, made made it, prospects of it being economically viable a little more a little more difficult. It's going to be one you know one of among many. Um, along uh, along Montauk Highway, that that's going to be you know uh, dispensing cannabis products. Yeah, and I'm in, I'm I'm intrigued at, at the state's rollout since legalizing cannabis. It it has not gone particularly well, and I believe right now uh, there's a court ruling that's keeping the state from issuing new licenses. There's a, there is a, a current restraining order that was. Um, a lawsuit filed by I think it was veterans that um, that said that they weren't included in in the um, preference list of of people who would be able to to get the licenses. You know that when when they when they legalized the the cannabis, they said that that people who had been affected, um, you know, by by the you know cannabis laws, you know, historically, and these are people that. Um, you know, that were arrested for drug possession, people that were put in prison, that type of thing, that they would have a preference when it came to these, um, to, to getting licenses to kind of make up for, um, you, you know, for what, what they had, um, what they had suffered under, under the, the laws. And in, in response to that, I'm sorry, but in response to that um, lawsuit, it seems, uh, the Cannabis Control Board this week actually uh, voted to uh, change their the state regulations to open it up to up people who are not just as involved individuals, which is how that was done, right. because they realize I think that they've got you know an insurmountable legal challenge at, on their hands. So, and I believe the gentleman who was in charge of the licensing at the state level resigned. This resigned, week. yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a, a whole system that's in flux. And Bill, there, the Southampton Town is having these conversations actively about possible places that are that are that that could seek a license and i know that that we're reporting this week on a proposal in bridgehampton for uh something correct yeah it looks like the owner of the um, uh the carvel store on uh, montauk highway um in in bridgehampton would would like to open a dispensary which is probably a good location and it sounds like he's got the support of uh town supervisor jay schneiderman who thinks that that would also be a, a good location but you know the, the 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 zoning and the locations of of where you know where where these dispensaries you know would be located has been the issue all along for the past year and i think you know particularly in 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 Riverhead, where where I think they located exactly four spots where it would fit uh, zoning regulations that the town of Riverhead enacted, and none of those are 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 available. So it, well, I, there's I think a new that, development regarding that now. The cannabis uh, the state has uh, said that cannabis vendors can soon appeal, and uh, mid October, if arrangements haven't been made with the with the counties that have opted in then they'll the state may have to uh come in so you have you're saying you're in but you're not providing these uh dispensaries with reasonable location choices so it if it can't be worked out between the towns and the potential uh dispensers the state may move on that issue also the state has issued a provisional license to one um dispensary vendor for for riverhead for a location uh, and a, quite a what's been vacant for quite some time, a, a former bank branch on Ostrander Avenue, right next to what used to be Mercy High School. Um, and um, it's got it's between like that the, the uh, a gas station and this now campus of the hospital. And um, 
that is not that does not meet the town zoning code that location so you know there were i mean the town is reconsidering its zoning it has taken comments on and you know they had another meeting last week i guess on what was that this week oh my goodness i don't know uh, on um on the regulations and took comments from people who were saying you know they're they're too they're too confining you know um the the state law says you're not allowed to make the regulations too confining. Right. You're allowed to regulate, you know, manner of operation, um, place and and time, et cetera. But your your can't your laws, your local codes can't be so restrictive that you're effectively banning it. If you so as of in, October twelfth. Yeah. So as of October twelfth, the state is going to accept complaints and follow up on it. So mm-hmm. if it's not worked out if it's not worked out before then, it'll go to the next stage. Denise, do what? we feel do we feel like it was it was it, it was people who were who were kind of opposed to the rollout that that helped to 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 strengthen these these restrictive zoning laws and well or, or I mean was it part of the opposition there or it's a little more than a feeling I think okay <laughs> because I mean I don't know look um, it, it the the person that the, the two people in the Riverhead Town Board voted against opt. They uh, wanted to opt out, and right. uh, one of them was a town supervisor who remains adamantly opposed to anything having to do with it and doesn't will vote against anything about it. Um, and the other was uh, Councilman uh, Ken Rothwell, who um, the supervisor made the chairperson in charge of the cannabis, the town's cannabis committee that would come up with these rules and regulations, and um, you know. Mr. Rothwell says, well, you know, they did not come up with these rules and regulations with uh, with the intention of making it too restrictive. They want to, you know, but they wanted to protect the public. And, you know, one of the things that's a big bone of contention was in addition to setbacks from churches and school grounds and parks and things like that, they 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 included a restriction of 1000 feet, a 1000 foot distance from any residential use. And that's really what did the the regulations in when it comes to yeah you mentioned before there are like four places in the town that that you know they can be placed so you know whether that was intentional or not i don't know but like you know he was the one person on the board besides the supervisor that voted to to uh, against opting in or voted to opt out is what it happens and there's similar similar restrictions in in southampton town as well although i I think that there's certainly um you know uh, members of the town government that that want to see you know see some of these dispensaries but meanwhile and and as our story points out um you know as 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 the towns drag their feet um, you know, the, the Shinnecock thrive and, and again, good, good for them. It's going to be difficult for any private enterprise to open up in Southampton town now, I think, because, um, the Shinnecock smoke shops really have cornered the market and, 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 even, and, and are selling cannabis tax free. And, you right. know, so, so they're going to be able to undercut any legal operation. And I think they are getting customers from a fairly wide distance too, who make the trip out. I mean, I think people did that for cigarettes, and I think um, even more are doing it uh, to come and get legal uh, cannabis. So, uh, oddly enough, you see a lot of uh, uh, trade parade trucks uh, parked at the uh, at the smoke shops in the <laughs> yeah, world. absolutely. After a long day, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a brisk business, no question. <laughs> Okay, so it's Behind Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. Our panelists are Beth Young of the East End Beacon, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Michael Mackey of WLIWFM. We have about 10 minutes left. I want to hit a couple of topics. Maybe we can do them a little, little more quickly. Beth, over in Southhold, uh, you're getting ready for public hearings on a housing plan over there. Yes, uh, it's about time. Um, September yeah. 26th, 4.30 p.m., Southhold Town Hall. Um, the housing plan is required in order for the town to spend money in its uh, community housing fund. Um, they've been batting around a draft for about four months. Um, it's become, I don't know, I mean, I, I guess we're all kind of cynical, but it seems like nothing happens in an election year. And uh, mm. and uh, a lot of people... Are, are, are they are they able to, to collect 
money from the the CHF while they're developing that plan? Do we My know? My understanding is they just can't spend it. Okay. Um, I could be wrong about that. Um, so, uh, so the plan uh, basically focuses a lot on um, first-time homebuyer assistance and keeping existing housing affordable. Um, so there's been a lot of backlash up here, I guess, as everywhere, but it, it just seems really sticky up here against um, housing developments. We had one that went in in Greenport a few years back, and they botched the lottery. And a lot of local people who initially got in with the first lottery uh, didn't get in on the second lottery, and a bunch of people from who, who lived very far away actually won and came here. And I've talked with several of them who were just like, "We, there's nothing for our jobs were up the island. Um, we didn't realize how isolated it would be out here. There's no public transportation. They don't know why they're here." Um, so that was a really bad example. It unfortunately has set a lot of the public. Um, against the whole idea of housing complexes on the North Fork. Um, we don't really have an example here of it being done well as it might be done in East Hampton, um, mm. which has all kinds of different innovative programs. Some are ownership-based, some are um, rentals. Um, some some are very specifically, you know, um, for uh, older adults who really uh, need housing out here. So, so it's hard to get that first project done because you don't have anything to point to as a success story. Yeah, I mean, there have been a few bandied about over the last couple of years. Um, most of them have, have just happened to have been in the hamlet of Kachug, and which is very a, a very small place. And, uh, you know, it's, we're talking maybe like 24, 36 units, but uh, they can't really seem to get off the ground. Uh, so I think this housing plan really tries to take a little bit of a different approach which might help fewer people, but um, offer them more of a, a foothold to ownership, which I think is is what the town board is sort of trying to steer things toward. So um, if you have any feelings about this, make them known. Uh, Tuesday, September 26th, 4.30 p.m. They're also going to hold that open again until October 10th at 7 p.m. And that's what I've got. The leaf blowers are out in my house, so you'll have to, you'll have to bear, bear with that. It's blowing um, here. Yes, yeah, so we can talk about leaf blowing a little bit. Um, I also wanted to talk, Denise, there's a proposal for some moratoriums in Riverhead. What's going on there? Uh, not much, it looks like. Not much. Uh, so council uh, Councilman Tim Hubbard, who is um, running for uh, the town supervisor slot this November, uh, and the town incumbent supervisor is not running and he's the Republican uh, nominee, um, wasn't able to get much support from his fellow Republican members of the town board uh, for the an, a proposed moratorium on industrial development in Calverton, which he actually tried once before unsuccessfully. And then uh, also on a proposed moratorium on the battery energy storage facilities in light of the fires that uh, happened this summer at three relatively new um, battery energy storage facilities, including the one in East Hampton. You know, there's a state task force uh, working group that's studying their safety and coming up with recommendations. And he said, uh, quite sensibly, it seems to me that, well, we should, because the town authorized, enacted a code authorizing that use. And he said, we should put the brakes on that until this, you know, task force comes up with its report. So number one and number two, he says, you now zoning in the hamlet of Calverton, which is already home to like hundreds of acres of solar panels, the EPCAL sub, you know, the EPCAL site and a bunch of current proposals for somewhat major industrial developments. He says, you know, has got the potential for another 12 million square feet of industrial development. And, you know, the town really should like. Re, you know, we're in the middle of a comprehensive plan update here. Let's that we should wait for that to be finished and get the recommendations from that before we allow you know development, um, which he said was you know irresponsible uh, to, con to continue going forward um, pending the pending the completion of the comprehensive plan. But um, he really didn't get. It's not even clear that he's got two other votes to set these these proposals for a public hearing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think um, they're he, just very against it. 
I think he Sorry. really had to come out and um, and bring it up again because the Democrats came out last week and said they yeah. would enact a more time. Now, by the time any if any of them are elected, they were in office. I don't know what good that would do, but um, yeah. but I think he just needed to remind everybody that he was the initial person who pushed for it, even if he doesn't have the support on the board of all of you know everyone on that board is uh, also a Republican. So, but the Democrats are saying. Like, yeah. What kind of leadership is this if he couldn't get two other people to even vote for a public here? I think <laughs> Laura Jen Smith, the yeah. Democratic committee leader, uh, you know, I think that's a fair yeah, point. I, yeah. I it also I makes me wonder. Agreed to hold a, a single public hearing on this yet, which no. is, you know, they could vote it down after a public hearing. Right. But like, you know, this makes me want, I have to say, especially given the tenor of the comments of the incumbent supervisor, like, why are the, why is why are the members of the all Republican Riverhead Town Board sort of behaving in a way that's subterfuging their candidate for yeah. town supervisor? Like, I, you know, it just yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, you know, yeah. you would think there would be some, you know, coordinated, OK, we'll have a public hearing on this and then we'll speak our, our minds. But like, just, I feel like it's 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 undermining him even like I, just as a political observer. No, you know? absolutely, it's very yeah. strange. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway, let's <laughs> unpack there. <laughs> Keep an eye on that. Before we go, I also wanted to mention a story that we had this week that I think is kind of interesting, and that is that East Hampton Town announced that Robert Pharaoh of the uh, Montaukett Nation is going to lead the town's 375th anniversary parade wow. uh, that's that's coming up this month. And I think that's a terrific gesture, especially with the Montaukets, um seeking federal recognition. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, seeking hey. um, state recognition. And they've had difficulty getting that. Uh, it's been approved by the state legislature several times but been vetoed by both of the last two governors, including Kathy Hochul last year. Uh, she's going to have a measure on her desk again. And I think that it really does help uh, provide some visibility to that effort um, seeking the governor's signature on that. So I, I tip it a hat to East Hampton town officials for, for really um, choosing a, a, someone at the, to lead the parade who is a very, very important part of East Hampton Town's history, and I think that's that's a great statement to make at the 375th anniversary. So, a good move. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but with that, we are out of time. Uh, I want to thank our panelists this week: Beth Young of the East End Beacon, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Michael Mackey of WLIWFM. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you, as always, to my co-host Bill Sutton. Uh, we will be back next week with another edition of Behind Headlines.